Hello, everybody. It's Sean Sewell with the Engagement.com podcast, coming at you from Boulder, Colorado, with Eric Larson, the Polar Explorer. Guy's a living legend, first person to summit uh, Everest, as well as North and South Pole in the same year. Is that correct, Eric? That is correct. Awesome. That There's so much to discuss here. So, Eric, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So, um, first off, where did you grow up and uh, what got you excited about adventure? Uh, I'm originally from the Midwest, Wisconsin, and I think for me, adventure was just part of who I was. Mm-hmm. Uh, my family did a lot of outdoor stuff, almost to a fault. I mean, I don't, I we never went to a hotel or resort or, I mean, it was just camping. Even for my dad, like staying in the state park was kind of a little bit of a downgrade, you know. Um, and so for me, it was more just part of who I was and it was a part of what I enjoyed and was comfortable. So, you know, as soon as I got old enough, I was, um, basically just kind of doing trips, uh, whether it was with, uh, kind of this youth group that I was involved with through a nature center or whether it was just on my own or just grabbing a map and riding my bike around. I was just trying to get out in whatever way that I could. Oh, that's awesome. So you came by very naturally. Totally. Yeah. And then that's a little bit of hard part when, when I talk about my story, I guess, is that, you know, it's not just like I woke up one day and I looked outside and I'm like, I'm going to do this. It's Mm -hmm. just, it's kind of always been part of who I have been and who I am. And, um, and my goal is always quite honestly to be a professional camper and (laughs) that job doesn't really exist, but, uh, it's still kind of my pursuit. That's so awesome, Eric. I definitely understand that. I grew up in Omaha, Midwest as well. Yeah, yeah. Always outside getting dirty, state parks, or just off the grid. And yeah. uh, I loved it, catching frogs and getting dirty. And like you, my my goal in life was to, to be a professional camper. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, you know, um, not to diss the Midwest, because I love being from there. I mm-hmm. think, like, every time we go back, uh, you know, my wife, Maria, is like, even at the gas station, like, why was that person so nice to me? (laughs) And um, so I really enjoy being from the Midwest. That said, and back then Mm -hmm. in, you know, I was a teenager in the 80s, um, you know, there just wasn't a lot of opportunities to do outdoor things. There wasn't the, the conversation that we have today. There wasn't the connection to other people as easily as there is today or other information. And so for me, it was just trying to follow my interests and, and try to get quite honestly, just be outside as much as I could. Oh, I dig that. Well, to your point about the niceness of the Midwest, you can, a guest yesterday from Omaha as well said, you can take the, the person from the Midwest, but you can't take the Midwest <laughs> yeah, from the person. Totally. Well, that's beautiful. That's, um, was there ever any inclination that you wanted to explore crazy climates like you do now? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think the other thing that I grew up doing was reading a lot. Mm -hmm. And because I found a lot of joy in outside in being outside, I also really enjoyed reading about outdoor adventures. And, and, you know, that started out with just books like Tom Brown's tracker. I don't know if you're familiar with that. He, he's a survival specialist now, but, um, just about a kid getting out. Um, I white Fang, you know, Jack London books call the wild. And, um, you know, I read those books and was just captivated with those stories and, and those areas and this idea of kind of like the Arctic. And then, 
you know, got into bigger expedition stories of all the historical explorers from the age of exploration. And so I don't know if it was that I was drawn to extreme polar environments, but, you know, winter was something that we had in, in the Midwest and Wisconsin. So I was familiar with that mm-hmm. and reading about these stories of quite honestly, mostly polar exploration. That's just what I was drawn towards. Wow. Uh, that's really cool. I, I have heard of the tracking. I met a few trackers from Canada mm-hmm. and they blew my mind with how they see the outdoors. Yeah. And like, um, I'm a backcountry skier and, and just a dirtbag working with like bow hunters and how they see the outdoors too. Like, it's so amazing what draws people outside, especially to the level you're doing it at. Yeah. And I think all those levels are great. I mean, I don't think you should put a hierarchy on it. I think anybody's experience outside has value. And, and that's the beautiful thing about wilderness is you can get out of it whatever you want. I mean, you mm-hmm. can, it can be your, your training gym. It can be your, uh, you know, place of quiet. It can be your spiritual getaway. It can be, you know, this epic adventure, whatever it is. So there's no like constraints that the wilderness puts on <laughs> you really. Right. Well, um, well in terms of Phil's philosophy, it's just a, you know, it's a blank slate and you get to interpret it however you want. And I think that's a benefit. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially today, more yeah. more so. Wow, well said. I, I agree. In my opinion, anything anybody does outside, walking the dog, in the city, whatever, you're outside, enjoying life. Uh, well said. So when was your first um, expedition? Uh, yeah, it's a good question. I mean, like I said, my life has kind of been a slow burn of progression. <laughs> so there's not like this like specific point where I was like, oh yeah, everything's great. I made it here and I did this. You know, when I got out of college, I was a backcountry ranger in Alaska uh, as a volunteer position through Fish and Wildlife Service and another organization called Student Conservation Association. So I got up there and was just had my mind blown. Mm -hmm. And I don't really call that an expedition, but it was a big um, kind of eye-opening experience for me where I got to see what true wilderness was really like. I did a bunch of different odd jobs, but I eventually stumbled my way into a job as a dog musher in northern Minnesota in the mid-90s. I'd never seen a sled dog before in my entire life, never even touched one. I drove home to my house about 11 hours, dug out all my cotton long underwear, <laughs> and uh, rented the movie. This is when you still could rent movies, Iron Will. And I like watched it's a Disney movie about dog mushing and I watched it trying to figure out what he was doing, you know, because I was like, this is going to be my job and I don't know what I'm doing. And uh, went back up to, to northern Minnesota and spent that winter driving sled dogs around and giving just tourist tours. But at the end of the season, the guy that owned the dogs was doing these kind of bigger expeditions up in the Canadian Arctic north of Great Slave Lake and and um I got the opportunity to join him and my mind was just blown. So I, I, I consider that kind of my first real in entry into to like more expedition style travel. Um, and I just look back and laugh at all the kind of mistakes and silly things that I did and, and how I tried to, to get through that. But, you know, I did another kind of dog sled expeditions in the early 2000s. And then by 2002, we were starting to plan our first summer expedition in the North Pole, but that took about three years to plan. Wow. I can only imagine that taking a lot of resources to plan that out. Yeah. So how was your first experience doing the dog sled? How'd that go? 
That was amazing. I mean, I remember we had been um, kind of training with the dogs with a wheeled cart in the fall, and, um, and we just got this snow, about six inches of snow, and a lot on bare ground, so there's no base and the dogs were just psyched and we hooked up these teams and it was just like <laughs> it was crazy i mean the dogs have a lot of energy the uh, sled dogs are incredible athletes they're kind of all the best things about us coupled with all the worst things about us they're just pure <laughs> passion um and and what they want to do is run and pull that's what they love to do the best and so that first run of the season they've been kind of sitting around for long enough they want to go and i remember just taking off and barely hanging onto the sled and my feet dragging and and coming around this hairpin turn and falling over and being drugged by one arm and snow is getting stuck in my clothes and somehow i managed to get the sled back up and pull myself up and i was just like this is the best experience of my <laughs> life you know? yeah <laughs> yeah and 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 i loved it and if just from the start and you know i i don't do any dog mushing now and that's a bummer for me because I spent many many years just sitting on the runners working with those dogs and this is before mp3 players and mm -hmm. so I would be out eight hours 10 hours 12 hours days with these dogs just in the backcountry just running them and and never got bored and and was always interested and engaged in that process so it was a really good experience that's so cool and that's a good point too. You bring up about the um, no distractions, no devices. And yeah, I imagine a person like yourself would kind of be at home with the quiet and kind of be just at home out there. Yeah, I mean, people often look at what I do as this epic thing, and quite honestly, for me, um, it's probably more it's it, or it's easier for me to be out in the middle of nowhere with nobody around. Mm -hmm than it is to be in a crowded room I get that. Or, or a city, you know, like I, I, I like people. I like conversations. Um, my wife makes fun of me when I tell her this, but I, I'm, a, I'm more on the introverted side. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, conversations can wear me out. And, and so it's very easy for me to be out and quiet. Um, and it's comfortable and I enjoy it and I feel very fulfilled as well. I, I very much respect and appreciate that. Like we were talking before the mics run, my plan is to every every Friday and every Monday I go camping, for specifically to recharge batteries and just to be away from everybody too. Yeah. So when we get to do uh, interactions that, like you, introverted, so I can I can really do a good job for like two or three hours and then I gotta go recharge. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So, I feel you on that, Eric. That's that's awesome. Did you ever think you'd be able to do this as a living? No, no, absolutely <laughs> not. I never. I never imagined in a hundred years that I would be in the place that I was that said I was working towards it. Mm -hmm. You know, I was trying to find a way, like I said, to be a, a professional camper to try to do this full time. And there was never any clear path. There was never any, okay, you just, if you do this, this will happen. And so mm -hmm. what I ended up doing is just following my interests and it's still what I do today. And, you know, I would say I have a, I don't know, maybe a 40% success rate in following my interests. You know, some things, That's pretty high. <laughs> some things turn out and some <laughs> things don't, but it's served me pretty well yeah. uh, for better or worse. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of things I could change, but um, yeah, it was a lot of just, uh, you know, initially, I think just following what, what I wanted to do. 
um, and trying to gain experiences. You know, back then there was no social media. There was no real opportunity for sponsorships in the outdoor industry. And that conversation didn't even exist. I mean, I remember I got a pro deal on some mittens and I thought I was like, this is the best thing ever, you know, 40% off of a pair of mittens. Um, and so for me, it was, you know, going out and, and just doing things. And like you, you know, I would, I would work in some sort of outdoor setting during the week. And on the weekend I'd go out camping and, you know, I'd fall through the ice or have the wrong clothes or, you know, get lost or whatever mistake it was, I made it. Yeah. And, uh, it was also outside the magnifying glass of anybody else looking. And so I was able to take chances um, and suffer some pretty big failures and some pretty small failures. And, and in doing that, I was able to kind of refine my experience and my knowledge over time, mm-hmm. like a long time and, and gain experience and, and learn from other people. I had some, you know, people that weren't necessarily set up to be my mentors, but I learned a lot from them because they had more experience and, and yeah, I mean, basically just put in my time and, and, and kept trying to go down this path at a certain point of how can I do expeditions, um, you know, as, as much as possible. But, you know, the downside of that was living in a tent on the beach, Mm -hmm. living in my buddy's basement, uh, eating ramen, eating ramen noodles for Mm -hmm. nights on end, not having health insurance, um, not being able to fix my car if it broke, mm-hmm. um, you know, not having an extra set of clothes, uh, you know, the list goes on and on where my friends were married and successful. Oh, yeah. And, um, there's been more than one time even now where I'm like, what am I doing, man? This is just <laughs> like, I it's uh, my, my, my kind of mantra now is the obstacle is the path, you know? Ooh, I like that. Um, Obstacle is a path. I dig that. I love it. So you had a vision. You had no idea what the path looked like because it's not been charted before. You just kept going forward. Yeah. Going left, going right, going around. But you got there. Yeah. You're still getting there. Yeah. It's a process. I mean, it's still ongoing to this day. I mean, if you if I look at myself now versus, you know, even 10 years ago, I think what I do is, is much more straightforward and, and the path is much clearer. Um, but the world is constantly changing, you know, and, and as I get older, my interests change and my priorities change. And so I've, again, I've learned to listen to myself enough where hopefully I can adapt and, and kind of move my career quote unquote to, to a positive direction. Oh, that's, that's cool. From the outside looking in, it looks like it's very positive and going in a great direction. Yeah, (laughs) that's, uh, (laughs) That's how everybody's life looks, you it, know? <laughs> it, it is. And, you know, for example, we we're talking before this, the show here about uh, last time we had a happy hour for the backcountry ski group here in Colorado. And, yeah, social media is easy to portray something. And it is that, but there's yeah. more to it. There's more substance. Totally. And so I like to try and be very open and very vulnerable and also talk about the failures and the pain and the, the suffering towards the passion kind of thing. And Yeah. Uh, well, like yeah, life is a, a process. It's not just an instant you know and so that's unfortunately what social media does is you see this curated moment Mm -hmm. that's been specifically crafted to convey a particular message and you know like there's 
part most of our life is not like that it's just this <laughs> kind of bumbling fumbling forward momentum of things you know yeah oh that's so true i like to hear that from you too everybody i've talked to that i i look up to like this uh, they say similar things so it's it's cool to hear from you yeah well speaking of uh, those mentors i mean I don't even know how you find mentors in that in this realm. Uh, who were some of your mentors? Get into this. Yeah, well, it's interesting when you look at uh, outdoor outdoor pursuits, and if you see where the earliest Everest climbers came from, they're mm. from Washington State, Cascades. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, where do you see a lot of the extreme skiers coming from? Colorado. You know, mm -hmm. um, ironically enough historically if you were american and you were interested in polar travel you lived in minnesota where was i living <laughs> in northern minnesota perfectly lined up yeah with with all the other dog mushers and and kind of polar people and so being that environment i don't think was necessarily like i was like hey i want to be a polar explorer i want to move to minnesota where all these things are i was just following like hey i really i really like being in the snow Maybe I could get a job somewhere up there. What jobs are available? Okay, I can Nordic ski. Maybe I could do some guy. Oh, we're looking for dog mushers. Well, I've never done that, you know. But you try. <laughs> yeah, but of course. And I was like, hell yeah, you know. Um, and so I just found myself in that situation. And once I was there, I realized that there could be some potential opportunities. And so, again, it was just trying to, to, to you know, take jobs that – put me in contact with these people. And, and it wasn't like I went from zero to a hundred. I went from zero to one and one to two and, you know, working, working for a dog musher and then getting connected to other people. And, and at some point really being like, man, I can't do this. This isn't working out. I'm, I'm just down in the dumps and, and, and guiding has its role, but I also got a little burned out on, on certain aspects of guiding um, and, and kind of shifted gears and went more towards education and environmental education and and after doing that for a few years shifted back to expeditions and and just somehow got a job working for a, a company that did dog sled expeditions but then we also had an educational program so for me it was a perfect fit um, and so I was able to go on some bigger dog sled expeditions but of course we lost our funding and then I'm working at a bike shop in my you know, 30s, making less money than I made in high school working at a bike shop. Wow, yeah. Um, you know, just again at the at another bottom. But, um, you know, I learned from there and was introduced to other people. I mean, a, a guy that I did an expedition with in 2005 and six, Lonnie Dupree, we met through kind of those connections in that small little town and, and, and were able to work together. Um, and I learned a lot from him. So, uh, other polar explorers like Will Steger, just as casual acquaintances as well. Um, definitely learned from him and, and still consider him a mentor. Cool. For sure. Wow. You have a lot of experience. And I like how you honestly earned it and are, are <laughs> open about that, you know? Didn't just click start and kick ass. Yeah. And I mean, if that's how your life works, that's great. But, um, <laughs> you know, I don't, I'm not, I wouldn't say like I'm even when I was listening to the things that they're like, oh, I play guitar and you're mixing all this sound. I'm like, man, I can't do <laughs> a quarter of that stuff. Oh yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's all I have is effort, you know? So oh, that you can't put a price on effort. It's, it's the, the untangible, awesome thing, right? Yeah. I mean, you have to have some talent and you have to have, um, a skill 
But I think the thing that separates success from not success, and I don't want to say failure because failures come as part of success, mm-hmm. is is the amount of effort and your willingness to be committed to that goal, despite all the all the other things that are telling you not to keep moving forward. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I'm professional at failing. I just every day is a failure. Just, yeah, if I can extract one good thing, I'm I'm pretty stoked. But um, it's cool to be around people like you who um are used to that too. It's just. Yeah, you get more comfortable with it. Yeah. And I think the thing for me is I'm kind of looking for originality in what I do. Like, I don't want to follow other people. Um, and so, you know, that's just kind of how I'm set up. And, and as part of trying to do things that are unique and, and original and, and potentially haven't been done before, uh, failure is inherent in that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, I think it's just a, a comfortable place for me. And, um, because I know that's a stepping stone, just like, um, I feel that people have a lot of, t- uh, difficulty dealing with uncertainty in their lives. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, and I'm very comfortable with that. I'm uh, uncomfortable with unknown because a lot of my physical life is basically put in situations where we don't know the outcome. And so that's one of the things I like about expeditions is they kind of, um, really exemplify a lot of these aspects that kind of percolate into our daily lives and you just are confronted with them much more directly because they have immediate impact and in our daily lives there's all these other filters that kind of exist and so i think being in the expedition world full-time you see that a little more clearly oh i bet and in in your face like danger mistakes yeah danger and stress and like i said uncertainty um all those things they're they're constant you Mm -hmm. know well, I'm glad you touched on the uncertainty. I, I totally agree. I think a lot of people play it safe because they are uncomfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. And um, that's where growth happens oftentimes. So. Yeah, yeah, and risk. Like risk is mm-hmm. a scary thing because you think that, again, back to the failure, you know, people are, are worried about looking like a failure, looking stupid, uh, coming up short, you know, losing money. I never had any money. So losing money <laughs> never really mattered. Um, you know, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm totally in debt again. All right, no problem. Let's just, how do we figure this out? So I think that's a, a normal part of life. But what, again, what I've learned, and I have all those same feelings too, but when you start taking risks, risks can be relative. Mm-hmm. And so as you start to gain knowledge, as you start to gain experience, you can kind of push that level. And, you know, it's kind of my philosophy with expeditions, which is train hard and travel easy. Like you go out on an expedition, having never been to that environment, having never used any of your gear or equipment, having never traveled with those people before, there's like a hundred question marks. And so what I try to do is, okay, let's test our gear at a time. Let's go to a similar environment and practice. Yes. Um, you know, let's get our team together and start training together. Let's train our physical bodies, you know, all this stuff. And then when you get to that environment, you know, you're still dealing with question marks, but you have like 10 yeah. um, versus 100 or 1,000 or whatever. That's a good way of looking at it. I mm-hmm. dig that. The physical, mental preparedness, and then the equipment preparedness too. Yeah. Uh, as a backcountry skiers, we um, have equipment that you probably have as well, beacons and comms and stuff. And so always testing that stuff. In fact, we throw these beacon batches where we just get people of all levels, people who are backcountry curious to, you know, seasoned veterans, getting checking their, their beacons and finding each other and multiple burials and just 
getting comfortable with the equipment so it's like um, tying your shoes or brushing your teeth. Totally. Right? Yes. Yeah, just second nature. Mm -hmm. And and so that's where I think people look at these things and they say, oh my God, that's impossible. I can't do it. There's too much involved with it. There's too much risk. But like what you're talking about, the more you do these things, the more comfortable you are, mm -hmm. the risk lowers, the discomfort lowers. Um, it's not a place of uncertainty. It's a place of more certainty or it's a place of understanding how to deal with the uncertainty. And so the, it becomes very familiar. And so that's kind of, um, I feel like where I'm at in, in my life. I dig that. Well, you, you've earned it for sure. Um, and you do speaking engagements too. Is that right? Sure. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. It's, it's fun for me. Um, I think, you know, I came into expeditions not as a way to push my personal limits, but from a background of the environment and trying to communicate about these bigger issues. Um, you know, and I tried to do it when I was a guide and that was great, but it, it was, um, you know, there's only so much I could do in that, in that situation. And then as a teacher, I felt that was valuable, but you know, it was in a very confined setting as well. We weren't out in the greater world. And so I thought if I could combine those things and, and I think adventure is a great unifier, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it doesn't matter what your political ideologies are. You can still be interested in adventure. I felt that was a really effective way for me to communicate about these ideas and these issues in these places. And so that's really how I got into expeditions. Um, and so speaking is just a part of that. And, you know, I, I, it's fun for me. I, I, I like connecting with people on an individual level. I like not taking myself too seriously uh, and having a little fun while I'm doing it um, and and being a little entertaining and educational and, and kind of inspirational. I kind of look at it as a formula, you know, those yeah. three things. Oh, that's a great formula. I, yeah. So you have a you have a TED talk um, and you have different presentations you've uh, you have on your website as well. That I'll, I will link to for you listeners and readers out there, because um, as you're getting a feel for Eric here, you, He's got great experiences and great insights and in, uh, taking what he's learned from adventure and and all the, the training for it and all the failures for it. It can apply to everything in, in your life, too. Like in the civilian day-to-day -day life, everybody can benefit from these kinds of skills. Uh, it's just cool to hear presented in his way. Well, um, one of the questions that the readers wanted to ask was, how do you pick your expeditions or adventures? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, for me... <laughs> It's a bunch of things. Um, I think, like I said earlier, it's just what, where are my interests? Mm -hmm. um, but there's a practicality to it as well. Like, what can I get funded? Uh, what do I have time for? Um, I think, what am I comfortable with from a risk perspective, which has changed a little bit. I have two kids now. And so oh, my nice. um, desire to be in extremely life-threatening objectively hazardous situations has lowered not surprisingly yeah um whereas i used to just want that with every fiber of my being mm -hmm. um and wanted to have i need to be able to push myself to my extreme limits all the time and i still feel that a little bit or i mean a decent amount but uh i don't i don't want to be in a situation where i'm going to uh, have a big chunk of Iceland on my head um, or be in some exposed slope where, you know, one misstep. And, I, and I'm in those situations a lot, um, but I want to try to minimize it a little bit. So anyways, that's that's kind of impacted my 
my kind of decision making process and then but really it's just like what am i interested in what am i feeling um where have people not gone what yeah what um kind of things do i think are unique what um would make a great story overall and also a personal challenge for me that's cool. I, I can get behind that. You know, in my three poles expedition, I never really was interested in mountaineering at all. Um, I, I just wanted to do an expedition down to the South Pole. And I felt that um, funding for an Antarctica expedition as an American would be really difficult. And so I started kind of thinking about it. And I thought, well, I maybe doing a pole and two, two poles trip would be really challenging and mm -hmm. that would have a, a pretty cool perspective and no american is on that and then i was like well wait a minute you know everest is technically considered the third pole of the earth what a, nobody in the world has ever done all three of those in a year why don't i try that and so that's kind of how it came out about oh you know? i love that that's that's so cool and genuine and that was uh this the season of 2009 2010 yeah yeah how cool um is there anything intriguing you for your next adventure or you oh yeah i mean the list is so long and i kind of <laughs> wish uh you know the sponsorship thing is great i have a lot of great partners that i work with and um uh i'm i'm very grateful to them and we have good working relationships with most of my most of my companies for many many years and so i always say like i could call any one of my sponsors and go crash on their couch or whatever mm -hmm. But I kind of wish I could just have some sort of huge chunk of money and just and just go without a lot of responsibilities um, uh, and make cool videos, yeah. um, which I really like about ideas. But uh, yeah, no, I I, um, I have a trip across the Arctic Refuge that I'm working on for the spring, which is an environmental mission in Alaska with Kit Delorier, North Face, North Face athlete, um, uh, kind of a ski mountaineer. Uh, I'm working on a trip across the arctic ocean potentially uh, bike trip in the gobi desert um tentative plans in patagonia ellesmere island i mean you name it and then i'm also guiding a lot too so um after kind of getting burnt out on guiding i refocused my um kind of strategy for how i wanted to guide and now i focus on what i call self-supported expedition style travel and so i'm not the guy that's going to um you know cook your dinner and pass it to you on a silver platter in your mm -hmm. tent and you're gonna get all your needs met at, at all times i feel that one of the benefits of wilderness travel is not having everything at your fingertips um and not that there's anything wrong with some of these you know more comfortable adventure travel experiences i just am not interested in it i dig that um and so now my focus is really working with be independent in winter situations and self self-sustaining and self-supported and so it's very my my guiding is very educational you know i'm teaching people the skills that i've learned over the past 20 30 years um, so that they can go out and either come with me on a bigger trip like something across greenland where my clients would actually be you know, doing all the navigating and setting up their camps or whatever, or just do something on their own, you know, take these skills and apply it to a backcountry ski situation. Mm -hmm. And so rather than just going out for the night, maybe they can go out and, um, 
you know, set up a camp and, and hit some areas that are farther back for a couple of days, but still be comfortable and safe in that situation. Uh, so, you know, it, they, what I do now applies to a lot of different situations, but it's really focused on, on kind of that idea of expedition style travel where you're more self-supported and you're trying to pare down what you have so that you're at your most efficient. Now that doesn't mean that you're uncomfortable, but that, um, then that you can travel kind of quickly and effectively and, and, and safely. Oh, I love this. That's so great. So you're not just giving them the fish, you're teaching them the fish. Yeah. Yeah. And that's part of my background as well. Um, and it also kind of squared a little bit in my own mind and my own philosophy, what I'm doing with my life. Um, you know, in one sense, there's not a really big industry around ex polar expedition style travel, <laughs> you know, unlike skiing or climbing or any other real sport that has a huge kind of following and support. That said, I feel like a lot of these skills are valuable. Um, and so being able to share my knowledge with other people um, is something that I enjoy to do. And I also think, again, like I've learned a lot of valuable lessons from wilderness travel. And so if I can promote people getting out into the backcountry in whatever capacity um, and kind of embracing this idea, not necessarily of total simplicity, but just the elegance of wilderness travel, mm -hmm. which to me has always been based on not having a couch and, you know, not having everything that you want at all the time. So paring that down to what's important to you for that trip or that moment. Oh, I love that. And it makes people appreciate things a whole lot more. Totally. I mean, I always say the, the, best way to find out what's important in your life is remove everything else. And that's what we do on expeditions. Like you get on an expedition, you, you don't have a TV, you don't have a table, uh, you don't have anybody else around. And, and then very quickly you get to know what are the important things of your life, mm -hmm. you know? Oh, I love that. And I think that should go for a lot of people too, just to pare down. There's a lot of extravagance just in day to day life. For a lot of people, if they can just minimize and learn what they really need. Yeah, I mean, we spend two months on the ice with everything that we need to live and survive in a small little sled, two months. That's crazy. Imagine if you did that in your normal life. Um, and and I have stuff, yeah. I have gear, I have a house, I have a car. So there's, I, I'm not saying to get rid of everything, but I, I think there's definitely a difference between need versus want. Yes. And what do we need to survive? And what do we want? And sometimes I think we fool ourselves into thinking that the things we want are the things we need. And, well and that's not the case. And so, you know, I, I think the experience is, is what the value is. And we get caught up in all this other stuff. Absolutely. Um, there's a, a good line I heard from Yvonne. I'm sure everybody's heard it. Um, something to the effect of adventure begins when things don't go according to plan to that effect yeah yeah i've always wrestled with that quote because um i don't necessarily agree with that 100 percent. yeah because we plan for things and you, you train for things yeah and you shouldn't go sideways yeah and and yeah and to me that's i, I don't want to say it's bad decision making but it's putting yourself in a situation where you're maybe not assessing the situation correctly or the conditions or whatever. So I, I, I've, I, I appreciate the, the, the nature of that quote mm -hmm. and why you say it, 
but I think uh, I would say that adventure is just simply being out, and it can happen on a, on a on a a lot of levels. What I've always said is, if you put yourself out in a situation long enough, that's difficult and challenging enough, then you're going to have some sort of compelling experience. Mm-hmm. If you want to define that as adventure versus something else, that's fine. I would just say it's an you know it's what it is what it is but the longer you're out and the harder things you're doing you're going to have some really big takeaways that are going to challenge you yes absolutely and i'm glad to hear that from you too because uh, my friend that i would do most of my adventures with he kind of lived by that he also underprepared underpacks i overpacked overprepared and his adventure was my stress yeah totally no (laughs) i get it yeah uh and there's a balance there you know like as you're trying to pursue difficult objectives you need to make some of those decisions. But I think as an adventurer or someone being outside, you do have to be responsible for yourself. Absolutely. And that goes with having the right gear and knowing how to use it. That goes with having, you know, like you said, avalanche beacon, knowing how to use it, having, you know, a potential search and rescue plan or, or you know, something like an inReach, a, um, a, a two-way communicator and emergency beacon. Mm-hmm. Um and, and so those things are go all into that conversation and that process. And, you know, to purposely put yourself in a situation where you're going to be making bad decisions to me is crazy. Yeah. I think, again, that's where that risk goes. Like when you're more competent, you can push those limits farther and you're in situations that have more severe consequences if something goes wrong. You know, you still don't want things to go wrong. Mm-hmm. You still want everything to go right. That's yeah, the goal. Absolutely. You want an asset li- liability. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, if you're out long enough, there's going to be a situation where you have to make contingency plans or you have to alter your plan or you have to deal with some unforeseen circumstances. But it, is that when things go wrong? No, that's just you kind of constantly checking in with yourself and the environment and what you're doing. Mm-hmm. That's how I look at it, at least. Oh, I dig that. Well, you touched on one of my favorite topics, which is gear. Yeah. <laughs> We're on the Ingear Mitt podcast. Um, for the uh, average person here in Colorado or the, the Rockies, what would you, if you were them, what would be in your kit for two days out? Uh, for winter or summer yeah, yeah, winter or whatever? Like this um, weekend. For two days. I mean, again, it depends on what your objectives are. Anytime I talk to somebody, I always ask them what their goals are. Good. Um, because that really defines the conversation from that point. So are you going light and fast? Are you going in to just be as comfortable as possible and hang out in a base camp? Um, are you going to, you know, like uh, a hut or are you just going to go party with your friends or whatever it is, you know, like you need to really figure out what your goals are first, which is, I think one of the harder parts about shorter trips with your friends Mm -hmm. you don't have any of these bigger discussions like we do in expeditions and really define those and um but regardless you know for me um in any winter situation i would say that you know the in reach is a is a critical part of what i do you know in colorado specifically and a lot of places that are backcountry it doesn't take much to get out a cell phone range oh yeah um and so you know, you need that connection. And that's part of what I call responsible recreation. Mm-hmm. Um, because you're being responsible for yourself. You don't want to have to put rescuers into a much more dangerous situation, not knowing where you are. Um, 
and and now the the inreach is is integrated to a fully functional gps um which i love i've been i've been waiting for the technology for that to happen for years and now it finally exists mm -hmm. so there's a a new gps called the 66i which is just like my dream piece of gear um you know i do a lot by time like on our expeditions like especially in winter um and so i love having um a good watch i i i have a citizen Alta crown watch which is one of the things i love about it it it, it has a solar panel in the dial mm -hmm. and so i never have to change the battery um and and on our trips we do a lot of stuff on a schedule we we eat at a regular schedule we drink at a regular schedule and that way that's part of us being safe and, and monitoring our bodies in that winter environment and so just having easy access to time is really important um in a sleeping situation, you know, like uh, one of the things for me is I don't like being cold in the wintertime at all. And I think that's one of people's biggest concerns. And that's one of mine, too. Um, and I think sleeping is probably at the top of that list. Mm -hmm. So I was pretty lucky. I got to work with Thermarest to design um, a sleeping bag called the Polar Ranger. Oh, my goodness. Uh, and it's a minus 20 bag, which is the perfect temperature range for a lot of winter activities. You can add a, a 32 degree bag on top of it and actually becomes much warmer than a or a blanket, um, much warmer than a minus 40 degree bag. But that thing is just like um it's like sleeping in the womb it's so nice that's so cool we work with them arrest and msr as well for uh directly to do reviews and that'll be next yeah yeah it's great i mean we worked for a long time on getting all of that dialed i think last year was it last year or two years ago i spent about five months of my year in that sleeping bag nice. uh 2000 and 18 i spent five months in my 2018 last year i would say maybe about two months in it um and uh and then i i you know with that i'm a big fan of the ridge rest it's such a simple sleeping pad but mm -hmm. for winter camping it's super versatile you can sit on it as a bench you know you can stand on it if you're just belaying somebody or whatever um obviously for sleeping it's really good and that's a closed cell phone with root yeah cool. yeah they have the x-therm which i really like as well and so again that depends on what your goals are how you're traveling it's an inflatable pad which has a really high r value that's mm -hmm. great and they redid the valve this year nice which is um incredible um you know you mentioned msr um you know if i'm in the backcountry, oftentimes I'll have um, some their snowshoes with. We use them on polar expeditions a oh, lot. They make great snowshoes. Yeah, the Lightning Ascents, yep. um, and they just redid the binding on on them. Called it's called the Paragon now, which is really nice. So easy to get in and out. Um, they also have redone their poles. Talk about kind of a process for them. They've been working on poles for quite some time. Those silicone poles. Yeah, they have a carbon and they have a metal. The um, and uh and their three section i've used i used the carbon poles across greenland uh, a year and a half ago and they i got after a month on the trail they look brand new so oh, i love them i, I did a review on the remote three and i had the access to my truck I oh yeah those. those are such good yeah things. so i was talking about their actual trekking and skiing oh, poles gotcha. but, but yeah you're talking about their carbon fiber poles their yeah. tents yeah they, they give like I, I can load snow on them like crazy yeah yeah them. and so the remote uh their tents are great i mean msr and between msr and thermarest it's like 
do you really need to go anywhere else? No, so American company. Um, cool. Yeah. So there's a, you know, when I, when, if you were to go to my website and look at all my sponsors, I can list off all the gear that I use and those companies um, are sponsors, not because I'm just looking for gear. It's because I want to use specific gear mm -hmm. um, and those companies, you know, make the best stuff, whether it's, you know, face masks and gloves and, and, and hats from Cirrus or, um, you know, a lot of the stuff from night eyes, um, you know, zeal goggles and sunglasses, like all that stuff for me, I'm specifically finding those companies to be able to work with. And like I said earlier, like I've worked with those companies for a long, long time. And, um, you know, I've had Stanley, uh, thermoses or insulated flasks, you know, on, the North Pole, South Pole, top of Everest, and everywhere in between. Oh, you know? and they're original ones too. Like they're. Oh tough. yeah, they're a bomber. Yeah, <laughs> and and you know, I one of the things you talk about what what to bring on a winter expedition: hot soup. Like yes. you you bring some soup, um, and you will never, um, your life will never be the same. It's like, <laughs> it's the bad. best thing ever. It's great hydration, good energy, good fat, whatever. Um, yeah. I know we were with Patagonia Provisions, so they sent us quite a few soups, and mm -hmm. so we're always cooking up some delicious lentils and all the stuff. Yeah, put it put it in a Stanley thermos in one of their food jars, which yes. is a little wider opening, um, before you head out, and at lunchtime, just you know, enjoy the soup love. That's all oh, you need to I'm do. I'm going to get after that on Friday. I'm going to go do some tours. Uh, I'm going to bring soup. I always bring like smoked salmon or whatever I have in my pocket, but yeah. soup, that, that sounds like great. Yeah, it's heavier, but you know, if you're in a longer trip, you know, one of the things I find with people in winter, and this is why we um, kind of travel to a really specific schedule, but it's really easy to not drink oh, yeah. or to not stop. And so, and especially in Colorado where it's very dry, it's 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 almost easier to get dehydrated in the wintertime than it is the summer. Yeah. Do you have any tips for that? Like what to look out for with dehydration? Uh, I mean, the typical symptoms, you know, especially if you're at altitude or, you know, if you're feeling thirsty, mm -hmm. headache, um, you know, those are the initial symptoms of dehydration. Obviously, lethargy will come. Um, and so my whole thing with any of this stuff is just avoid. And that's where I have a very rigorous schedule. And, and when I mentioned, you know, just group going out with a group of friends that's when these situations become much more prevalent. You know, you've got somebody out front who's really fast. You've got mm -hmm. somebody that's lagging. Maybe you have different goals about where you want to go or skill ability levels. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's where you run into these problems. Like, oh, I'm just trying to catch up. I'm sweating like crazy. You know, I don't want to take off my jacket because I'm not being able to keep up. Mm -hmm. And then the weather changes and, you know, the wind picks up, you know, um, those situations I feel like frighten me more than these big expeditions. Um, uh, and that's where like with soup and that schedule, we're kind of reminding ourselves to, okay, every hour and a half we're stopping real mm -hmm. quick and taking a drink and adjusting things. And then, you, you know, um, kind of in my bigger um, guiding efforts and just overall, I try to, and I'm not a touchy feely person, but I, I try to talk about this idea of thoughtfulness when you're traveling, which mm -hmm. is, um, you know, being mindful of where you're at individually, like where, what's your temperature, body temperature, how are your muscles? Where's your, you know, um, energy level? Yeah. Do you need to eat whatever? Um, and so just being aware and making adjustments because when you, 
try to just push through these things, that's when problems occur. I agree. Um, yeah. So that's good feedback. Wow. This is, we're covering a lot of good territory. <laughs> <laughs> I could talk to you all day long about this stuff. I, I love it. Um, how about training fitness? What do you do for that? Yeah. I mean, I wish I, I used to be so much more focused on it. Um, and, and really just integrated it more. And I still do. Like I, I love working out like, um, but with kids, like I wake up at seven and I'm going all day until midnight, you yeah. know, like as we were talking earlier, like if I had a wish, it was that I wouldn't have to sleep. Right. Cause I would just have more time. I love working out. And as I mentioned, like, um, and being physical has been a part of my life. Um, my training kind of ebbs and flows with my travel. I think one thing that I'm really bad at is training when I'm traveling. Oh yeah. And quite honestly, like I do a lot of computer work, man. I mm -hmm. have to sit at the computer and you know, like this is a job. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and because I'm doing a lot of different things, there's a lot of computer time. And so for me, it's, it's trying to maintain a general level of fitness. Um, which quite honestly in the summer is, is riding my bike and my mountain great. bike. You know, I'm usually two to four hours a day. Um, and then in the winter, it's also riding my bike, Nordic skiing, Alpine skiing. And then as I get a specific expedition, then I'll start gearing up more training. Um, and I'll do, you know, kind of pulling tires or some kind of CrossFit work with tires. As I get older, I realize now as my, I feel my body breaking down. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was just funny enough thinking about this morning. I was like, okay, I, I'm, I'm going to have to start doing some yoga and some, yeah, and, nice. and some more of these other kind of just general fitness things on a much more regular, uh, way. Um, yeah. And so that's kind of where I'm at. And, and, but I, but I do love training. I do love the physical things that I do. And then I'll also kind of arrange my schedule where I'm doing other trips prior to big trips. So last year I was attempting a speed record in Antarctica. And a couple weeks before I left, I do these other kind of random adventures that I call state-a-thons where, um, and it's kind of a throwback to how I got started in adventure, which is just um, making something up in my backyard. Um, and a bunch of years ago, we did a trip across Colorado where we biked from the eastern border of Colorado, bike hiked and pack rafted from the eastern border of Colorado to the western border of Colorado. Oh, cool. So we biked across eastern Colorado up into the mountains, hiked over the um, flat tops through the flat tops wilderness, got on the Colorado River um, near Rifle and pack rafted down to Utah, 600 miles, and it was really hard. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, we just kind of put an arbitrary parameter of trying to finish in like 11 days or whatever it was. and. Um, you know, one day we ended up hiking about 30 miles, but it was just, I mean, 12, 14 hours a day of nonstop effort. And so as I was doing it, I was like, wow, this is really hard. Um, I should do these in other states. So anyway, long story short, uh, I've done them in a couple states since, but last year before Antarctica, I just scheduled one of those right before, um, my South pole trip so that I was in Wisconsin and for nine days was, you know, traveling 12 or 14 hours a day. Um, and so that's just kind of getting my body in, in used to that longer type of travel. And, you know, the type of stuff that I do doesn't require like great, incredible strength. Um, it just requires kind of this overall stamina. And I guess I call it strength endurance. So you're yes. never really 
doing anything physically difficult, extremely physically difficult at any given moment, but the accumulative impact of all that is significant. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of my trips are like a chess game. And so that physical baseline of this endurance and strength is super important. But you also need to know how to manage your your body, your diet, your sleep, mm-hmm. um, you know, your mind. All those things kind of play off of each other very closely. Absolutely, no, and I, I like the way you put the strength endurance. I'm all about that. Like, I don't care about being fit in the gym. I like I want to train for the outdoors. Yeah, I'm yeah. Not, not trying to impress anybody with numbers, but. Yeah, last few years I worked with, uh, with some really smart people in Strong First to make like mitochondria more efficient, so they have more capacity for more endurance. Yeah, and yeah, also yeah. become stronger. It's been pretty fun, but um, not doing twelve to fourteen hour days like you're doing. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty hard. Well, and, the, and and it's all related. I mean, I don't want to downplay the value of working out in a gym. Mm-hmm. Like there, that like that's good fitness to have. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, doing more cardio things like running and whatnot, and and obviously CrossFit is super good for your body. Um, but it's a much different experience when you have a one or two, even a two hour intense workout in a gym on your body. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of the things that we see aren't these really dramatic instantaneous injuries, but they're these repetitive use things yeah. um, that have kind of a slow accumulation. there. Uh, yeah, exactly. And um, and so, you know, when I guide, one of the things that I really tell people is like, you know, do that gym workout as a basis but then make sure you're getting out and, you know, going for a weekend backpacking trip, you yeah. know, where your feet are in those boots and they're nice. getting worn, broken in, you know, and and you feel the backpack strap on your hips and, oh, yeah. and all these things. And so those things aren't um, going in opposite directions, but it's important to really balance that those types of training for you know specifically what i do expeditions and adventures oh well said i like that and yeah to your point i when i work with people uh will ruck sometimes get their backpacks mm-hmm. especially the bow hunters because best case they're coming back with additional weight yeah totally yeah <laughs> and i benefit from that my freezer is full of good meat oh lucky yeah lucky very you. fortunate um well eric you've given me an hour of your time already and i i love every moment of this this has been very very helpful and i'm sure the listeners are appreciating it as much as i am if not even more is there anything else you want to cover in the last few moments here? Um, you know, I think I, I, we. this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate it. I think, you know, for me, um, I'm psyched on any of these opportunities that I can share some of my experiences. As I said earlier, you know, like I think every it, it, experience in the outdoors is valuable. Mm-hmm. I think we oftentimes put these outdoor people, myself included, uh, you know, experienced extreme athletes or whatever on a pedestal. And the reality is, is all those things are achievable to all of us, <laughs> you know, like and, uh, it just depends on what you want to sacrifice, of course. Um, and I, I think that's an important thing to remind her. And I also think this idea of like what we go to wilderness for is an important thing to remind to remind ourselves mm-hmm. and and that the experience of being outside for no reason or any reason you know, it could be taking a picture, it could be just sitting quiet, could be back on screen. That has value. And Absolutely. so I think, um, you know, as we go through our busy lives, making time to be outside in whatever capacity 
is an important thing. And and for me, ultimately, all these things hopefully tie into this this greater awareness of what our environment is and this desire to kind of use our lives to hopefully protect, uh, you know, our playground or home or whatever you want to call it in whatever capacity. And I think those are those are important messages for people to remember. Oh, absolutely. Are there any organizations you're working with specifically on? Production? Yeah, I mean, I work with a, a quite a few different nonprofits depending on where I'm going and what I'm doing. But, um, you know, Protect Our Winners, Winter Wildlands uh, Alliance. I do um, stuff for uh, Big City Mountaineers as well. Um, and, and with the Statathon projects, I kind of do some fundraising for for uh, um, nonprofits in those states. So, in Colorado, Big City Mountaineers is is based in in Colorado. So we raised five thousand dollars for them. When I was in Wisconsin, we raised nearly six thousand dollars for um, a nature center that I was involved with as a kid in Wisconsin. And oh, just wow. and then just in New York, we raised a bunch of money for um, kind of a Sierra Club offshoot called New York City Inspiring Connections Outdoors, so a, a program that gets inner-city youth in outdoor experiences. So, you know, I have this kind of motto, which is have fun and do good. Like, I'm all about having fun just for myself. Yeah. But as a professional and on an individual, I, I like to be able to try to just do some positive like uh, like we're all selfish, but we also have the ability to, to you know, create some positive change and you know, uh, you know, one of my models is just begin with one step. So you just, just do a little bit, you know, yeah. at any, at any point, but I, I really believe in that. So, Oh, I love that. Have fun and do good. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> what a great motto. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure, Eric. Um, yeah, I'm very excited for everything you have done, everything you are doing, looking forward to seeing, uh, your future in 2020. And, uh, once again, thank you for your time. It's been yeah. very inspiring. Thank you. Appreciate it. My pleasure. And to you, Engagement.com podcast listeners, thank you as always, and I love you for listening.